Hi, I'm Walt Hickey, and this is A Couple of Goons. Joining me, as always, is Neil Payne. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Walt. Uh, we are indeed A Couple of Goons, and we're here. We finally made it happen for a finally holiday a holiday mid-season episode. We holiday mid-season thought, episode. Yeah, we, I, I was just texting with you the other day, and I was like, you know what? We need to get together and do a Goons podcast that is just celebrating the new year. Exactly. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of change. Sometimes that's good change. Sometimes that's bad change. But, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a time for, for assessment and kind of gut checking <laughs> of where we are and where we're going to go. And, yeah, uh, one yeah. might even say that uh, you might make resolutions as part of that uh, that assessment process, but I don't know if there's like a term that we use for that. Yes, uh, but I don't think I, I I don't know of any that you speak of. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, before we forget old acquaintance, it's it's let's just kind of go through. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, how you been? It's been it's been a little while. Uh, what what yeah. you been following? What you been watching? Oh man, well it's it's been a a good hockey season so far. It's yeah. been really interesting. Uh you know, last year was a great season. Uh our was that our that was our second season covering uh yes. the NHL. Uh and you know, last year there was a lot of predictability to things. I felt like the good teams were good and the bad teams were bad and you could kind of keep up with that uh throughout the year. This year I feel like there's been a little less predictability to things, which like you need sometimes. Like that, don't get me wrong, you still have teams that we thought would be good or we thought would be bad and that actually ended up true. But there's just enough of those like curveballs uh to to use a different sports metaphor <laughs> thrown at us to uh to keep it interesting and i like that about this season so far so it's it's been exciting yeah it's been fun i mean there's always going to be teams that are kind of slam dunks at this point to make it in uh to the playoffs but like it's it's a pretty like open field still at this point you know i don't i don't feel like destiny is necessarily is settled for for the majority of the league you know Right. Yeah. And we'll kind of get into whether maybe there's like one team that might have destiny on its side uh, as we look at the first half of the season. I think it's been roughly a half a season, maybe a little bit shy of that for uh, for teams across the league. But we thought today we'd give out, you know, some gifts uh, in the spirit of, uh, you know, the holidays, give out some gifts to teams um, for what we've seen out of them so far. The gifts might not be all universally what you want. So there's yeah. that twist in it. It might be like one of those awkward kind of company holiday parties where, <laughs> you know, they're, uh, you're, you're playing one of those uh, games with colleagues where it's there's a certain gift that nobody wants, uh, but someone has to take it home. So, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. kind of uh, play around with that theme. I don't think I've ever been to a holiday party like that just because I don't remember holiday parties. I just get yeah. blasted. It's great. Um, right. But- <laughs> yeah. Now, I think I've been to a few of those with you in the yeah. past. I think one of the... Um, <clears throat> One of the most intoxicated times I've ever been was uh, at either a New Year's or a, a Christmas party with you, yeah. uh, where where a lot of uh, whiskeys were downed. I feel like yes, we've had we've had some good ones, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. But so you know, we are we are you know keeping it above board for this one. We're going to give some gifts and uh, just kind of talk about uh, talk about the list. So why, why don't you like pop a stocking off the wall, Neil, and, and give a gift? Yeah, so uh, my first gift that I want to give is uh, for a team that has been 
probably the biggest surprise so far. Uh, so this is sort of like you, you thought you were getting something, maybe you're hoping to get something on Christmas, and then it just exceeded all of your expectations. And I'm going to give that one to the New Jersey Devils uh, so far. Now, they've hit a little bit of a skid recently, uh, which I know you as a resident Ranger fan, uh, and we'll talk about the Rangers uh, in a second, but um, you're not sad to see that happen. But still, the Devils have one of the best records in the league right now. And I think they've been one of the best stories of the first half of the season, Uh, just in terms of teams that you know, so often across the league, there are teams that have young talent and you kind of hope that they'll unwrap that present and turn it into something special. I feel like that doesn't often materialize, though. And so often we've seen teams and there's a lot of teams across the league, even right now, that are young and exciting and ostensibly could be doing what the Devils have done, but just haven't put it together yet. The Devils are a success story. They have done that. I think they're still fourth in the league in goal differential per game right now. Um, They're good at both offense and defense. Really, maybe the one problem area for them is goaltending. They still need to figure that out. But um, they're also just a really exciting team to watch, which is fun because uh, I think as we've talked about our 90s history, maybe old old uh, longtime listeners to the show will remember that the Devils were known for kind of the opposite of that. They were the avatars of killing offense and just everything we enjoyed about hockey (laughs) at one point during the 90s. So it's fun to see them be at the forefront of the opposite and actually doing, um, you know, fun offensive things, whether it's with Jack Hughes, Dougie Hamilton or Jesper Brad or Nico Heischer. They have so many guys on that team that can score. Uh, and that's, I was going back through some devil's history, kind of thinking about today's show and thinking about how throughout the nineties, but especially like the mid nineties, as they were like, they want to, Stanley Cup and they were perennial contenders uh they like didn't have anyone who could score and some of that was the system but it was like so weird to go and find a team um that just was so devoid of guys that even had like them having like a 30 goal scorer or a guy cracking like 60 points or 70 points in a season was considered like, ooh, we got ourselves a hot shot, don't we? Uh, you know, Bobby Holik has decided to score 29 goals uh, or whatever. And it's just like such the opposite of that now. So that's my uh, spiel on the Devils. And I hope they, they kind of pull it back together. You know, they built themselves such a cushion early on uh, that – you know, they've they've bought themselves a little bit of um, breathing room despite a recent kind of downturn, but they're in a tough division and uh, it's it's still not totally for sure that they're going to make the playoffs. But I have a good feeling about them making the playoffs. So that's my um, that's my devil's gift. That's fun. Yeah, I've been seeing them on TV more and I usually do not see them on TV because, <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they've got competition in the New York area, right? And um, they definitely snuck up on me as a team that's good. The other thing is that that division as a whole uh, seems pretty stacked this year. That, that yeah. seems like there's only two truly non-competitive teams uh, that, that come to mind. But um, I, One maybe, of whom is the Flyers. Yes, um. you love to see it. You really love to see it. <laughs> yeah. and, this all uh, dates back to things haven't been the same since that episode we recorded when the Rangers beat the Flyers like 10 to nothing or whatever it was. <laughs> 
I forget I saw, when that was. I saw a good. Uh, that was a really fun episode. There was that really good <laughs> Sabers uh, game that when I I think finished with like nine, but it just like they were all in the in the first or something. It was very. It was that was a very fun one to watch. You remember that? Oh yeah. Well, the um, if it was that the Tage Thompson game where he scored uh, like five goals in the first. Uh, period yeah. of change yeah, yeah that was well, nuts. <laughs> this is a tate thompson another one if we just want to jump on to sure. another gift because um he's a guy that you know i don't have like a quippy uh title for the gift off of that <laughs> but he's kind of like the player version of what we're getting out with the devils in the sense of a player that like he you know was i think it was a first round draft pick but had spent the, you know, he, he moved on from St. Louis to Buffalo already. So he's on a second team uh, and hadn't really done a whole lot as of a couple of years ago. And time was kind of running out on him as a prospect. Now he scored 38 goals last year. So you're thinking like, okay, that's great. You know, 38 goals, um, even though last year's scoring environment was a little bit higher than we've been used to. It's like, this is good. Age 24. He's a big guy. Maybe he's like, you know, one of these kind of power forward sniper type of guys or whatever. But this year he has 26 goals in 32 games. And that's actually going into Thursday night's game. And I see Buffalo, I think is taking it to Detroit tonight. So I don't even know if he's added. I feel like if they've scored five or more goals already, he's probably added to the total tonight. Um, But uh, 26 goals in 32 games, just to kind of do some quick back of the envelope math, that equates to 67 over an 82 game schedule, which is (laughs) insane Uh, for a guy that previously, like I said, before last year when he had 38, he had never cracked uh, double digits in goals in a single season in his entire NHL career. Granted, it was, you know, a handful of seasons, but like still. Uh, so it's it's wild to see him come out here. And he's even drawing comparisons to Mario Lemieux, which I think are like, that's way, <laughs> way premature <laughs> to make those comparisons. Yeah. But I will say I was looking at um, the history of other players that just sort of with limited track records came out and had this type of season. Just for context, he's tracking for 32.3 adjusted goals above replacement this season, which just, you know, to scale that like 20 or more is like, whoa, you had like an all-star season, one of the best seasons by a a skater. We're talking 30, that's like MVP, you know, borderline like one of Gretzky's best 10 years uh, or something like that as, (laughs) as, uh, as far as those types of seasons go. So for him to just come out of not nowhere, but like, okay, we didn't think he had this gear to his game has been pretty special to see. And as part of that, Buffalo, at least as of a couple days ago, I'm sure it's still going to be true after this Detroit game again, they had the best offense in the National Hockey League, the Buffalo Sabres of all teams, which Fun. was a team a couple of years ago. They were like the worst team in hockey, uh, just awful at both ends of the rink and now they've come out and uh having the best offense in the league is a lot of that is due to tage thompson um and i'll I'll ask you real quick yeah you come down in general on buffalo sports i'm curious as in like uh, how do i think the state of things are or am i pro pro mostly 
Oh, I'm definitely pro. I mean, who yeah. is who is anti? I feel like I Buffalo is one of the one of the most easy to like. Um, yes, hundred percent towns like the Bills and the say. I just think that they have a lot going. Like, I don't know anybody who dislikes them. Even like the people like from Boston, uh, like the, or their most like persistent rivals. Like everybody's kind of cool with them, you know? Like, yeah. They're, well, they're just like kind of a. They feel like one of those towns that maybe. You know, you think of them as being an underdog type of town because they don't have a lot of pro sports teams or just it, it feels like the fact that they have teams at all, like other places have stolen or tried yep. to steal their teams. Like totally. I remember the Bills almost played in Toronto uh, for a while. So it feels like uh, cities are trying to like steal their teams all the time. And it feels like it's kind of amazing that they actually have managed to hang on to the teams that they have and the passion that the fan base has for the teams that they do have, I think is like an essential component of it. Yeah. Like there's other cities like that, that had been like longtime underdogs, but then when they get good, you're kind of like, ah, fuck them. Fuck Phoenix. Like that. But like, and then like sometimes like, but Buffalo, like, Phoenix, even when, even when, and that was just, that was one out of nowhere. I was just trying to think of other cities that I don't care for. No, but I um, think for, like, uh, every hockey fan would share that sentiment. Certainly. Yeah. But yeah. it's mostly just like, uh, I, I've, I've never minded even when they're good. Like now when the bills are good and now that the Sabres are good, it's just like, Oh yeah, good. Good for them. Like, yeah. Their fan base is like not annoying. They're passionate, but not annoying, which is kind yeah. of a needle to, to thread that I feel yes. like only is possible possible because they jump off the top of pickup trucks into burning tables 100 percent. the only people who don't like buffalo fans are the american osha table guys <laughs> like, <laughs> well and even the table manufacturers love them because oh, they're they printing just money print money off of them yeah it, <laughs> their it ledger is like number one customer wwe <laughs> number two customer city of buffalo <laughs> like, right they're a market maker for absolutely them. Um, yeah so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pro Buffalo, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to kind of see them uh, have this type of season, and also like yeah, even things like what happened you know earlier this week with the winter storm coming through, and them having to kind of be resilient through that and fight through that. Like they had a no driving r- policy in place. I think they got lifted only like midnight this yeah. past um, morning. So. Like, they're always having to deal with something like that, I feel like, also. Um, it's one of those cities where it's just, yeah, it's a, I, th- I would maybe liken it to, like, Cleveland, but um, where where it's like you kind of feel sorry for them uh, because of, like, the weather and the lake effects yeah. and all that stuff. But Cleveland even has done some stuff, you know, you think about, like, Deshaun Watson. And no, 100%. Where, like, where it's like I, Cleveland has turned themselves unlikable, which Cleveland we didn't think totally was totally off the rose. I, 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 I like the we Browns were for Cleveland, a Yeah, we, we were Cleveland yes. uh, backers for a while. We would swag. go to bars. Yeah. Yeah. It's 100% because we were just like, yeah, you got to root for them. And then when they pull this shit, it's just like, no, I'm not down on uh, – not into cleveland anymore yeah um so i guess buffalo is really only like one problematic signing away from turning people against them but they haven't done aren't we all aren't we all well that is true that is i have a gift i I have a gift so my gift is for the north carolina barbecue company in section 102 
two of PNC Arena. I went to um, a, a Carolina Hurricanes, uh, or shall I say, Whalers game, and um, I had a great time. It was like yeah, I was down visit in, in the in the in the triangle to visit family, and uh, I texted friend of the show Wade Minter, who who does the wonderful announcing uh, at, at Carolina, and uh, he was like, "You got to get the barbecue." And so I got the barbecue, and God damn it, was he right? It was it was amazing stuff. They just like it, it was truly good stuff. Uh, and, and I had a, uh, a storm brew, which is their like mm-hmm. local, like they're specifically for the hurricanes beer that they make. And it is kind of terrible, but it is at the same time, um, goes well with, uh, with, um, you can get like barbecue nachos there, man. I don't know. I had a great time. <laughs> In addition to watching an excellent game between the, um, the avalanche and, and the hurricanes that unfortunately did not go their way. But, uh, what a good time. Had a, had a great experience there at PNC. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with anything barbecue related, I feel like, in North yeah. Carolina, first of all. They and do then, it right. <laughs> um, second of all, yeah, if, uh, we've talked about this before, but I think the Hurricanes are almost like the surrogate um, official team of this podcast of just by virtue of the Whalers connection. Yeah. Um, now, my question is, was it a proper Whalers night in the sense that were they wearing Whalers gear? I saw you yes. guys had Whalers hats on, yes. but they were wearing the Whalers jerseys the throwback night A uh, bunch of well. folks were wearing that. I think it was a throwback night, actually. But either way, a bunch of folks were wearing, wearing uh, Whalers jerseys, which was amazing to see. I went with a friend of mine, and I was like, yeah, just get Whalers swag. Like it's the, it's the, <laughs> you, you, It's the way to go. And we picked up hats and we had a good time. It was like, now, did like, they, did they play brass bonanza? They did not. I listened oh, so closely for this yeah, and I heard, I heard yeah. it never. I had to play it in the car on the way there to like, you know, get, get everybody hyped up for it. Right. But, uh, it was, uh, they did not play brass bonanza there. Uh, that was the only disappointment of the evening, but I did, <laughs> you know, got some Wheeler swag, had a good time. Like, yeah, would recommend like, <laughs> Yeah, the and and I kind of love the fact that that community has embraced the the hurricanes. It it seems like it's gone from being. I remember when they first moved from Hartford. I feel like that there was a little bit of like resentment from the northeastern fans, especially the Connecticut fans, mixed in with like just skepticism about the viability of uh, Southern hockey, uh, mixed together to create this like condescending attitude that I feel like a lot of people had toward uh, that fan base and that team and its viability. And I, that's kind of all washed away now. They're they're a legit uh, fan base and a legit um, franchise. Did you watch the secret base video about the Charlotte Bobcats? I did. Yes. Yeah. Which was great. But I just loved how like there was a part of the beginning where they went through like kind of that North Carolina sports. And it was just like, yeah, no, it's all college basketball. And then probably the hurricanes now, but back then, like, and it was just like very like fun to kind of go through just being like, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't a, it didn't seem like it was a sports town for a very long time. And then the Panthers came and then the uh, hurricanes came and, you know, it it seemed like they they got, they got it together and they just have a really thriving uh, vibe there. It's a pretty good time. Yeah. It's great to see. Um, so I will move on to our next gift, which is, uh, also in the metropolitan division. Mm. And it has to do with, uh, a guy that we've talked about. He was a central character in our Russian hockey episode, one of our first episodes. Uh, and also a guy who now has in his crosshairs friend of the show, 
Wayne Gretzky. And I'm talking about Alexander Ovechkin. One of his gifts that he gave us this season was he passed Gordie Howe for number two on the all-time goal scoring list in NHL history, which is wild. So he now has 802 goals in his career. Gordie had 801. Of course, the Wainer has 894, but I was looking at this. If Ovechkin plays at his pace per 82 team games uh-huh. from the past five seasons, it would take him just a shade under two seasons from like now. So 1.9 additional seasons from uh-huh. midseason of this year to reach Gretzky. That's like not out of the question at no. all. And I've seen a lot of people use this phrase of like, now it's it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And you always look at that and you're like, okay, well, you know, he's 37 years old. Anything can happen. It's not a sure thing that he'll pass Gretzky. But I think it's as close to a sure thing or, uh, you know, as close to a very good bet as you can get for projecting a milestone for a player at this phase of their career. Totally. Um, and and the way that he did it was just such a flair for the dramatic um, in which going into we were coming up on the holiday break uh, and he needed to. Uh, to get to 800, he needed to get three goals and he does it in Chicago. He has a hat trick. I think it was a nationally televised game uh, in mid-December to hit 800 on the number. And then he goes a few games without scoring. And you're thinking like, is tonight the night, like each night, each successive night uh, running out of time before, you know, this long break that, you know, you don't know what that's going to do to uh, some old legs, uh, you know, and all that. Is it rest? Is it rust? I don't know. But then <laughs> against Winnipeg in front of the home crowd, he goes out and he gets number 801. So he ties Gordy. And then in the waning seconds, he gets an empty net goal to pass Gordy Howe for his second goal of the game. This was on the 23rd. So um, it was a great uh, game. I tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, you know, the, it, it was also funny on that last possession, how he was sort of trying, I don't think he wanted the, the goal that he passed Gordy Howe to be an empty net goal. And so he's passing the puck <laughs> off and uh, it was like, uh, Nicholas Backstrom or someone like that was like, okay, no way am I going <laughs> to let, let you pass to me and I score this empty net goal. You're going to have to score this. And then he does this sort of like blind, you know, uh, shot where he kind of whips it behind him and it goes in for uh, 802. <laughs> but anyway, so I just thought I've gotten really wrapped up in the whole Ovechkin, um, you know, chase for Wayne Gretzky. And this was, I think probably early on when we were doing our one of our periodic Gretzky um, deep dives, yeah. thinking about how it seemed unbreakable. Like a, a lot of Gretzky records seem unbreakable, but the goals record, which might have been the least unbreakable seeming, still seemed really unbreakable, I think, when we were talking about it. Like, yeah. okay, nobody's going to get to 894 goals in a career. And to now see it actually like look – pretty breakable is something I never really thought that I would see. And it's like a, just a testament to the, um, the longevity and just the, the pure sniperness of Alex Ovechkin. So, 
really enjoying that subplot this season. It was fun. It was again, like I, you know, I obviously have inherent biases against Washington, but I also have a lot of friends who are <laughs> Caps fans who were texting me that night. And, like I tuned in, it was great. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it is it, it is nice to see. Like even if he, whether he gets it or not, it is nice that he has kind of demonstrated that like maybe it's not impossible, right? Because like I feel like a lot of times that we've been discussing, you know, Gretzky is that he does kind of hang it like a shadow over over the league in a manner of just like you know you will never beat this. So what what how do you you know deal with the fact that what if just statistically the best that your sport can produce is in the past? And like mm. I feel like if he has an opportunity, even not to break it, but to like threaten it. That bodes rather well, just aesthetically, for like, no, like, listen, this is doable. Somebody can do it. It's going to be very hard, but like, it's not done forever. I think is 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 that's that's a probably a positive force for 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 you know the sport, uh, just just like you know intellectually, you know. Yeah, totally, and and just engagement wise, like uh, the NHL, I feel like is leaning into that, not not specifically because of Ovi, but I think. It's it's just part of this kind of collage of vibes about the game right now of it being like they're intentionally calling back to like that Gretzky era and saying to us like now middle aged fans or whatever we are saying like, OK, you thought the past that era was sort of, you know, the best was in the past, like you were saying. But check out these guys that we have in the game now and they've never been more skilled and never been, you know, more talented and this, that and the other and, and sort of young talent uh, and in Ovechkin's case, old talent, uh, you know, existing talent. And, and so I do think they're consciously trying to kind of call back and say, like, wait a second, the the days that you look back on as being the best ever are kind of being rewritten and, and recontextualized by this yeah. current era and, and maybe surpassed. I love that energy because obviously I'm a, <clears throat> like, I'm again, a, fi- a fairly recent fan and convert to it, but it, you know, in the beginning, you'll remember, like I was very intimidated by how much fucking history this thing had. And, and like, yeah. how, like the, and the, the idea that, you know, maybe you're not coming in too late to, to enjoying this is like probably just a really good thing. I don't know. I, I, I you know, regardless of, of, of Ishkin, obviously who's a complicated figure in geopolitical, in geopolitical spaces for some reasons, like it is nice to have somebody kind of menacing the record, even if whether he gets it or not, you know, that's just, that's just good stuff. But yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a good call out. That's a good, yeah, that was, that was a fun game. Yeah. Uh, you want me to keep giving gift? Do you want me to give a negative gift? I could give a yeah, negative Yeah, that gift. felt really positive. We can give a negative Yeah, gift. that was very positive. All right. Put some coal. Like I'll give a lump of coal. Well, actually, this is I'll, – I'll go with like a quick one for you because it, it's in the news. I'm actually watching the Ranger game right now. They're in overtime uh, against Tampa Bay. It's been yeah. a fantastic game. Uh, but someone who is not on the ice and was yeah. a – scratch tonight was Alexi Lafreniere who not long ago we were like hyping up he had been the number one overall pick uh you would got you bought his jersey I have his like I have his, I have a nice jersey of him like you that's ever like, bought was, that's, that's the one that I got from Canada like it's, it's yeah, a thing. yeah like, it took a it took a long time to get delivered too did, which should have like, been a sign that the the supply chain bottleneck issues uh, oh were uh, that we faced that we've all faced uh, during, since the pandemic. That was are, the first uh, sign of the chip shortage. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jay, Jay Powell should have been paying attention to uh, <laughs> hockey jersey shipping trends. But anyway, Lafreniere was a healthy scratch for this game. Uh, I think for the first time uh, since becoming a, a member of the New York Rangers and. 
I just want to check in with you on like how you're feeling about that. I have my own sort of like take on it, but I wanted to get a gut check from you on how, like, what do you make of this? Yeah, I don't think it's awesome. I think it's, uh, I felt like I had a lot uh, of expectations uh, for him. And part of it's just like, you know, you wanted to kind of like bet on the guy that was like, you know, new and young and that kind of stuff. That being said, I think that the team around him, like the team's doing decently well. Like, you know, I think that, you know, you don't need necessarily a perfect star to like kind of elevate the whole franchise. And I think that there's a lot of parts on this team that are, that are really working. And um, I also think that it could also be, you know, an opportunity to like reassess and and just kind of think about that. But again, like I'm trying not to like be completely devastated by it. Um, But obviously it's a setback and I'm not like when I saw, you know, particularly that they were actually considering, you know, giving him bench time. I was like, that's the, that can't feel, there's no like good spin on that (laughs) unless uh, Neil, can you put a good spin on that? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I'm kind of with you on, on everything that you just said. I guess the positive spin is you could say that it's a chance for him to, you know, maybe respond to it and uh, light a fire. And, you know, some people were trying to say like, well, they tried to light a fire under him going into the playoffs last year. And he seemed to respond to that. And, you know, if he's uh, the competitor and and everything that he showed he was as a prospect, then, you know, he can use this as a chance to get better. I also think it's kind of unfair though. You know, I'm not, I'm not labeling him a bust unless maybe the, the status the, the standard we're comparing with is like, a generational prospect, you know, all these things, yeah. which I, I do think people were kind of breathlessly hyping him up uh, in juniors. And if, if you're expecting like a Crosby type of career or something like that, it seems clear that he's not going to hit that. Although we should say, I mean, he's only 21. Right. Like, that's, that's the other thing. Other thing is like, it is really, really early to cast like sweeping judgments over his whole career. I also think he's getting better. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of sad I about agree. all of this is like, if you look at the hockey reference adjusted points, which sort of, you know, adjust for league, uh, context and also pro rates to 82 games he's on pace for a career high in that now granted it's just 37 adjusted points but also i do think he'll score more goals if given the opportunity over the rest of the season because he is shooting the puck more than ever uh, on a per game basis it's just his shooting percentage is lower than what it had been the previous few years you have to think that will kind of regress uh, upward i think he's actually pretty good in the defensive end as well like he's he's turned into a guy i don't think they've really ever because the Rangers were in such a weird position anyway, we talked about this when he was drafted. It was weird to have a team like make the playoffs, at least whatever you want to call that 2020, like Frankenstein together playoff Mm. system or whatever it was, but like they were good enough to actually potentially compete in the postseason, you know, for, for the cup and then turned around and still got the number one overall pick. uh, And then, came off of that and actually were good over the past couple of seasons came within a round of going to the finals last year. You know, th- there's not an obvious place to fit in a young player that you're kind of breaking in on a team that already has a lot of other really good players. You're going to yeah. re- more so ask a guy like that to fit into a role. And that's kind of what they asked him to do. And I thought 
he's been getting better at that and done a decent job of slotting in as like a, you know, depth forward or something like that. Uh, and, and trying to be good at both ends of the rink and do what the team was asking of him. So it's a little unfair to then just be like, Oh, you haven't come out and blown us away with crazy numbers. It's like, well, you already have guys that, uh, whose job yeah. that is like his job, like Chris Kreider had 50 goals last year. Yeah. Uh, Panarin and Zibanejad always, uh, you know, are among the league leaders in scoring. You went out and got Vincent Trocek over the offseason. Like, how exactly is Lafreniere, maybe if he was truly an elite player, he could just slot right in there and just be like, hey, this is my team now, even on a team with a bunch of other big names. And maybe that's an indictment of like, okay, so he's not going to be that kind of player that will instantly take an already good team and just make it his own. But like, there, there are not that many players in NHL history that could come onto a team as like a 19 year old or whatever it was, 18, 19 year old and just say, move over boys. It's my yeah. team now. Like who, who realistically is going to do that unless it's like one of the, you know, inner circle best players of all time. So I think under the circumstances, you take a guy who's a hot shot in juniors and you ask him to play sort of a depth uh, two way type of role and then he like does okay at that and he's getting better and he's still young. And then you're like, it's just not good enough. It's like, okay, what, what did you want from him? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. So I, I think maybe it's just a chance to kind of reflect and, and hopefully it'll just be like, okay, maybe it'll unlock another, you know, uh, part of his potential that maybe if he wasn't with the coaching staff thought he wasn't working hard enough or whatever, I don't know. But it, it, that it's a weird move still. It's a good, like, again, you never know what's going on in these locker rooms. You never know what's going on with these folks psychologically. It, we, we see this in sports very often where you have somebody who is very, very hyped up and then who doesn't immediately hit. And then sometimes they, like, you know, having a little bit of a reality check and just being like, listen, your job's on the line. That can also times, like, motivate folks to really do it. Like, the, the other, you know, New York uh, once flop, but now really good. You know, like Saquon and, and Daniel Jones, I think are like a good example of just being like these are folks who are like kind of playing for their seasons who haven't had a good couple of years, frankly. Um, but then they're able to like you know uh, really demonstrate this year that there's that there's worth there. I think that like w- without risk and without peril, like a lot of times it can be difficult to like you know get people where they need to be on this kind of stuff, you know. So. Yeah, and sometimes a kick in the pants is maybe what it what it takes to yeah. to get to that point. So um, yeah, we'll yeah. see how it plays out. I, I don't. I, I think this is not the last we've seen of Alexi. I don't think. So. I, th- I think. Uh, yeah, like I think. I also, you know, you never know how much of this is like the the relationship between coach and player getting assessed and things like that. So yeah, either way, um, I, for I, sure, I'm, I'm not. I'm not freaking out, but it is not the gift that I wanted in my stocking this year. No. So, <laughs> Well, let's use that as a transition because I want to go to another um, maybe two teams that uh, didn't necessarily get the gifts that perhaps they were expecting in their stocking. And these are two teams that we talked about going into the season as being really interesting and yeah. also teams that... I frankly was wrong about both of them. And this is Florida Ooh. and Calgary. Uh, so if you remember, Florida, yeah. So Florida and Calgary had that, uh, that challenge trade of sorts uh, where uh, Florida sent Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger to Calgary in exchange for Matthew Kachuk. Uh, and then uh, also, 
they they made a few other big splashy moves like Calgary went out and got Nazem Kadri. Uh, and so you looked at those teams and I sort of mocked Florida for uh, this idea that I had seen many times before where a high scoring team gets knocked out of the playoffs early and then they decide they need more toughness and they kind of blow up the team and it doesn't work out going forward. And I think to a certain extent, a version of that has kind of played out in the sense that the Panthers are nowhere near as good as they were a year ago. And some of that was to be expected, like regression just happens. Like you have a season like the Panthers did where they outscored opponents by more, uh, by, more than 1.1 goals per game last year, you're you're not going to really be able to replicate that even if you brought back exactly the same players. But they've slid backwards pretty hard, and they actually have a negative goal differential so far this year um, per game. So, and I think that this would be one of the biggest season-over-season season drops in goal differential per game that we've seen, at least in, in recent memory. I haven't dug up that number. And just in the record also, you know, they've got, they went from 58 and 24 to now they're 15 and 20. Uh, and the 538 model right now only gives Florida a, a 24% chance to make the playoffs because of what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, the Eastern Conference is pretty stacked overall. Yeah. Even though they're in the Atlantic Division, um, there's, the Atlantic Division has the Lightning and the Maple Leafs. And, you know, it's not like the uh, – we'll, we'll talk about the big bad team in that division in a second. But, um, you know, it's not like the Sabres and Red Wings are anything to sneeze at or the Senators um, for that matter either. So the Panthers are getting caught up in this numbers game, and they're not really the same team that they were after blowing things up. And I can't say that it's Matthew Kachuk's fault. That's the other kind of crazy thing about it is he's come in there – and he's been pretty good. You know, he's been yeah. sort of the Matthew Kachuk that he was in Calgary. It's just they lost a lot of depth in that in that trade. And they haven't gotten the same goaltending. And they haven't, you know, had just sort of the same mix of, of players for a team that was really predicated on just this wealth of contributions that they were getting uh, top to bottom. Like Alexander Barkov is having a horrible season. Uh, but... Florida is not even the probably the loser of that trade. Calgary is probably the loser yeah. of that trade uh, in the way that they've played. Because if you look at them, as disappointing as Florida has been, Calgary is also below 500, also barely breaking even on goal differential. And their offense has gone completely to hell uh, this season. And the players that they picked up as part of that trade, like Huberto in particular, but also Uyghur, uh, who I think has also been hurt, uh, have not been anywhere near their track record. Like Huberto has regressed massively. He might be the most disappointing player in the league in terms of certainly among forwards in, in terms of performance versus Tell me how you really previous feel. track record. <laughs> right. And, and that, you know, shows up in terms of also, I mean, I should say Calgary also lost Johnny Goodrow, who went to Columbus, which was also like a head scratcher. We were trying to figure that one out over the offseason. Like, why would you go to the Blue Jackets of all teams? Maybe he thought that they would do something. Well, the Blue Jackets are 10 and 23 right now and have one of the worst um, goal differentials in the entire league. Like, if the Ducks and Blackhawks didn't exist, they would be the worst team in the league. And... Uh, I don't even think Goudreau is is doing that well um, individually in his new spot. So 
this has caused me to really reassess my beliefs about like how portable players are in hockey. And -hmm. there are some players that you could sort of toss into any situation and they'd be able to produce. But I think I was not giving enough credit to the value of continuity and the value of just chemistry, I guess, and and playing in like a similar system with guys that you're used to and you're, um, you're comfortable with and seeing how, all the different parts from those two different teams who were scattered to the winds over the off season and none of them are doing well and they were doing really well last year. And it feels like each of them went from a situation that was like a perfect fit for their respective talents. And and with the exception of Kachuk, who even he is not doing quite as well, but he's retained it more so. And it could be the fact that like Kachuk is that tough guy, you know, he is that like old school kind of hockey guy that'll like scrap and mix it up, but also can score. Whereas the other players involved are really more kind of finesse type players. Maybe it's harder for them to fit into a new system and get clicking immediately, but it does, it does really cause you to reassess these thoughts of, you know, how you could take a guy from one situation, put him down in another one and expect him to be the same player and put up the same numbers. And that's just, not how this sport works. And I think this was a reality check for that. That's interesting. That's fun. That's good to revisit. Cause I remember in that first episode, as we were kind of like looking forward to the season, that was like a very interesting test case. And it does just kind of seem like, well, it didn't really work very well for either of them necessarily quite yet. It could be again, the, the injury is obviously maybe there's a different long-term play, but yeah, it, that's a good, uh, that's a good callback. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, look, certainly there were more considerations than just this year when they were making the deal. So, you know, they would say, like, because of the salary cap and because of all these various different concerns, they felt like they needed to make those moves. And and they knew that they would take a step. I think each of the GMs involved knew – that there would be some kind of downside to the to the deals. And I know Florida, for a fact, they talked about it. Bill Zito, their GM, talked about the fact that he thought, okay, we're going to get a little worse in the regular season so that we can play a style that is more suited to winning in the playoffs. Now, that sounds like BS to me. Yeah. Like that sort of set off my BS detector <laughs> whenever, whenever you hear that you know type of talk. But – you know, I have to kind of feel like maybe there's something to that uh, looking forward. Now, but the thing with Farda is in order to make use of your new supposedly playoff ready brand of hockey, you do have to make the playoffs. So that's <laughs> that is. is sort of the the tough, um, you know, trade off involved there. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, but those were my two lumps of coal. I guess you could also talk about the young teams that that didn't materialize. Like you're thinking about the Senators. That was a team that I think we talked about being hyped up going into the season. And people thought that they would have a breakout. And it ended up being the devil. You know, if, if you had taken the devil's numbers and said that the Senators had done them uh, instead – from our perspective before the season, we would have sat there and said, yeah, it checks out. It makes sense. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people were riding that Senator's hype train and it just hasn't materialized for them. And, you know, I don't want to pick on them specifically because it feels like there are a number of teams that had a little bit of a hype train going into the season, despite not having a track record to to back that up. And the only, it feels like the only team that really cashed in on that was the devils and, and the rest of them haven't really done that. I mean, I don't think, and then teams that surprised that we could give like a nice little gift to, 
I don't think anybody was really talking about it. Uh, I'm thinking of like the Dallas Stars. That's a team that is looking really good. And Interesting. How are they yeah. doing? I, that's a team that's just not on my radar at all. Oh, man. I mean, you should watch them sometimes. They are really good. Jason Robertson, we've talked about him before, but he's kind of emerged as an MVP candidate type of player in his own right. You know, I think the like Connor McDavid is probably going to run, run away with it again. Uh, but Jason Robertson is on that like next tier of players um, along with like a Tage Thompson. Like he, those two kind of stand out to me as guys that, wow. that took jumps this year and Dallas looks really good all around. I, and- I haven't seen, I have the, completely not on my radar. Usually the only folks that I'm paying attention to from that are the avalanche in the wild really. Um, yeah. But like, that's surprising. Okay, cool. Hell yeah. Is that, are they fun to watch? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, they've, they've got a number of like really good offensive players, which is my barometer for whether a team is, uh, you know, worthwhile to check in on. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would recommend them. You, you mentioned the avalanche, their lump of coal this season has been injuries and they have not been derailed by it by any means. So they've sort of fought through it, but it does feel like every day there's like a new, you know, guy who's out for extended periods of time, whether it's like Nate McKinnon, uh, Nichuskin thought he was coming back. Now he's not coming back. Yeah. Uh, they've put a lot onto Kale McCarr and I've heard some criticism of him, which I also think is like kind of crazy, but, but my sweet, precious Kale in my mind could never do any wrong. So, you know, I'm, I'm admittedly biased, uh, in, in his favor. Um, and he's also still having a plenty good season, but I think people have have sort of said, well, in the absence of all these other stars, you got to step up and and really carry the team. Uh, but if it were not for former New York Rangers goalie Alexander Georgiev, uh, <laughs> who you might remember being uh, Shesterkin's understudy, oh yeah, uh, the past few years. Uh, I don't know where Colorado would be because remember they lost Darcy Kemper uh, at fresh off winning the Stanley cup and they slotted in Georgiev and he was supposed to be part of like a goalie rotation for them. Well, he's been one of the best goalies in the league and he's taken over that um, starting job and kind of bailed them out like amidst all these injuries. Like I think they'll be fine by the playoffs and, uh, they'll hopefully get everybody back healthy. They should make the playoffs 94% chance in the model right now. Um, but, you know, if if not for the, the depth and sort of the unsung contributors that, that have stepped up for them, they might be in worse shape. Got it. I have a gift. And I think you're going to like this gift. Give this gift. Give this gift. I am giving the gift of uh, the Seattle Kraken aren't shit. Yes. I read... I read this article by this hack writer at this bad website all about uh, how the Kraken are actually like rather good now and they're looking great. And and I guess I'll let you speak to that potentially. But like I was I've been casually seeing them occasionally and like they're not doing that bad. I think that they have decent odds to make the playoffs. Not great, not terrible, but like that's they were fairly bad last year. And, And that I think has been a surprise for me. But I'll I'll let you run with this just because I know that this has been your valley work for a little while. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The um, the Kraken, we were all about them as an expansion team because we thought they would follow that Vegas model and be competitive right away. And they weren't. And I think as a result of that, they were not on a lot of people's radar as being worth you know, paying that much attention to this season, uh, especially since like they made some improvements. They added Andre Burkowski from the Avalanche. You know, they made some 
moves, but I don't think anybody thought that it was like earth shattering. But all the guys that they had that sort of flopped in that first year have come back and been really good this year. And that's another one of those testaments to like, what, what are we learning about how hockey works? And that's another one where it's like, maybe it takes like a year playing in a new town, new circumstances, a town that had never had hockey before uh, last season to really figure out whether, you know, you have something in a lot of these guys and they've responded to that. And it's just like, it seemed like a town that really was desperate for, you know, another team to root for. And, you know, to, speaking of passionate fan bases, we're talking about Buffalo. I think Seattle's in that group too. You know, they perpetually have one of the best sort of home crowd uh, feels that, that uh, any NFL team has for the Seahawks. You know, they have the 12th man and all that. And I think that's extended over to, the Kraken as well. So it's great uh, to see if they could only really find some goaltending because between yeah. Philip Grubauer and Martin Jones, they probably still have, you know, that, that was their Achilles heel out of all the different things that could go wrong for an expansion team. That was still probably like their worst aspect last because year. Grubauer was rather good before he was in. He Seattle. was remember. Yeah. He was on the yeah. avalanche and I think Darcy Kemper replaced Grubauer, uh, which we were sort of like, oh, that's kind of weird. How are they going to replace this guy that was a, I think he was a Vezina candidate in 2021. Yes, I and definitely remember that. Yeah, like the, yeah. his name His name is known to me. <laughs> yeah, Grubauer. That was season one of Couple of Goons. Yeah. Uh, fan favorite. And then he was, yeah, he was one of the worst goalies in the league last year. Rough. Uh, except for all the other cracking goalies. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, he's been somewhat better this year but not that much like he has exactly the same bad save percentage for instance um so i don't really know what to make of it but honestly if it weren't for the goaltending i think the kraken would be you know have one of the best records in the league and as it is they're above 500 so like they just got to be hoping that the hockey gods of goalie regression which we've talked about a lot yeah. Uh, turn in their favor at some point. So, but it's a fun story to see because I don't know. I, I I like that franchise, like their leadership, like their front office team, like their uniforms, like the <laughs> vibe that they have. You know, they throw plush uh, salmon into the crowd. Uh, you know, it. when they celebrate, like all that. You know, unlike Detroit, who throws, um, you know actual octopi onto the ice um you know the the seattle has taken that formula but maybe modernized it just a little bit love that so yeah. i have one last gift and i don't yes. know how many gifts you have but if you want to do you want to have do one your more gift? let's do your gift and then we'll finish on mine yeah i mean i think this is like the gold frankincense and myrrh just like <laughs> packed together this is like the the total gift uh, to the Boston Bruins, which is, you know, I, I think neither of us have traditionally been uh, no. particularly enjoyers of that franchise uh, over the years. But um, j- like it cannot be stressed enough that going into this season, there were legitimate questions about whether the Bruins would really even be able to contend for the playoffs or would they kind of fall by the wayside? They had a super old roster. Big injuries to Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy going into the season. They didn't know when, you know, how long they'd be without those guys. Uh, question marks about, you know, the a lot of the remaining players on the team. 
And it just did not seem like a team that was poised for some kind of breakout, incredible season. But here we are like halfway through this season and the Boston Bruins just rattle off some numbers. Okay. So they're 28 and seven so far this season. Three of those losses have been in shootouts. So conceivably, they, yeah. they could be 31 and four uh, <laughs> on the season if, if those hadn't gone wrong for them. They're outscoring opponents by over 1.6 goals per game. Oh, jeez, um, that's a lot. They have the best defense in terms of goal prevention in the league. Uh, I think they have the second best offense. Only the Sabres are ahead in terms of goals scored per game uh, in the league. They have, I believe our model essentially gives them a 100% chance of making the playoffs. (laughs) You never want to say anything is 100, but they're greater than 99. They have the best odds of making the cup final, best odds of winning the cup by a huge margin over the avalanche. Um, Just in terms of points on the season so far, they have a huge cushion over anyone else uh, in the entire league. They have 59 points. Only Vegas is at 50 there. No, Carolina is at 52. So they have a seven point lead uh, over anyone else in the league. And you just sort of look at that and, Oh yeah. And McAvoy and Marshan came back way faster than anyone expected them to do. Linus Olmark, their uh, goalie, who a lot of Bruins fans sort of, you know, poo-pooed the acquisition uh, of him going into last season. He's probably the front runner for the Vezina uh, as the best goalie in the league. Uh, He's on track for 40 goals above replacement this season, which would obviously blow away any previous career highs that he had. Uh, Hampus Lindholm is, is might be in the driver's seat for the NARS trophy as the best defenseman. David Pasternak is in the Hart trophy conversation. So it's just like one of these insane, like, Every so often in sports, you have seasons like this it where just works. a team just seems unbeatable. And that's the the Bruins. Uh, I believe they've only lost once at home all season, maybe uh, just in regulation. Uh, I'll have to uh, double check myself on that uh, this season. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They've lost twice, both in the shootout at home this season. So they Oof. have not lost a game in either regulation or overtime at home all season long. Um, they really haven't lost much at all in general. Um, one, of, one of their losses on the road was also in a shootout. So, yeah, they're just on a roll, and they haven't really shown many signs of, of letting up on that. And you just got to tip your cap to them. It's yeah. It's been sort of the most unexpectedly amazing season for them. And then you just run into – parallels with other teams that got on a roll in hockey history during the regular season. And admittedly, the track record for those types of teams is not great in the playoffs. So all those Bruins haters out there can kind of take solace in that. Maybe they'll turn into the 2019 lightning or something like that. But until then, you know, I do think you have to kind of anoint them the the best team in the league by far this season. Yeah. Again, like I have no particular affection for the team beyond uh, one of the better jokes in the Boston episode of 30 rock, but uh, they are. Yeah. I mean, they seem very undeniable, honestly, like it, like you were, as you were just kind of going through tough to see a weak point, tough to see that. And um, yeah, fucking Boston. Why did they, I can't believe it. Yeah. Because again, we, we have made this joke before, but like Boston did need a champion. They've gone. Oh, they're so, they're so drought. A, they've gone yeah. a few years without winning a championship. Oh, 
Yeah. Yeah. They even they've even been able to enjoy the moral victory over Tom Brady this year, which I don't love. <laughs> <laughs> Although you know, seeing uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like Belichick is having uh, his his greatest year either. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> Duncan sipping anyway. Um, so yeah, my my final gift, um, and I don't know actually, like I assume that you've been following this because it's excellent. But my gift is to the voters of Tempe, Arizona, who. The Coyotes are playing in basically like a rec league arena at this point, and they're a a literal college arena. And like, but they don't even have like dibs. So they're playing in ASU's um, arena, but like ASU has dibs, and so like they they like so they like don't control their own schedule. They're playing in a like forty six hundred capacity arena which is like a third of the smallest one in the nhl which i think i think is one of the canadian teams i forget which one um probably winnipeg they're stuck there for three fucking years and maybe a fourth year (laughs) and the best plan that they have is to is to convince the city to spend 200 million dollars to move like a million and a half tons of trash and then put in an entertainment district that they will play in sometime over the next four years and the best part is that like you know obviously everybody in the city is on board because if you you know grease enough palms you're always going to get your sports stadium approved by the people who are elected but it's got to go to the fucking voters and like there's a chance that like the coyotes are going to have a referendum on should the coyotes exist in arizona and like they're going to have to see how that goes down (laughs) like yeah it is it is wild and it's one of those ones where it's like you're not Hey Gary, you're not actually gonna let this happen, right? Like you thought when that, that was floated, it was like there's no way that this league that sort of you know as great as the game is, like we talked about at the top of the episode, right now, like it's still struggling for legitimacy in a lot of ways relative to something like the NBA or Major League Baseball, let alone the NFL. Sure. Um, so like you know, having one of your 32 franchises play in a glorified rec league arena (laughs) is maybe not the best look if you're trying to kind of gain, uh, you know, credibility as a, as a league, you know, the, the Arizona franchise has so many times just begged to be moved anywhere else, literally anywhere else. Like there's dozens of Canadian cities that would take them in yesterday like if they were on the move if they were on the block and and were up for for grabs and at every possible turn gary bettman has like it is such a weird hill to die on and you could say like well the league is succeeding maybe in spite of it or whatever you know the players hate it they make jokes about how it's taking basically the existence of the coyotes forces them to have to put money into escrow because uh, there's the revenue sharing agreement that uh, if, if the, the league makes like too little money or something that uh, the, it comes out of the player's pocket or whatever it is. And so um, uh, perennially probably the existence of the coyotes uh, over the years has caused that to be invoked more than any other franchise. Um and yet Gary Bettman has just decided uh, that under no circumstances will this franchise fail. Yeah. Weird, weird thing. Weird thing to choice. die on. Banana yeah. choice. Like, the best, like, it's just like, to their credit, Arizona has fucked over, like, sports franchises before. Like, the Diamondbacks wanted a thing, and, like, it was just hell to get it through. 
And then like the Cardinals had a thing. Well, I mean, the Cardinals um, had a stadium yeah. that was named after a for-profit college that was sued yes. and had to pay back hundreds of millions of dollars in restitution to Someone people Someone should do a story about fascinating names of stadiums. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be especially in the, in a post-FTX world. Mm, yeah. Uh, still my, still my um, – we'll never not be unhappy. But, that, 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 but anyway. Hey, um, someday. Someday, right? Someday, baby. Um, but but yeah. yeah, so it is crazy that that they have decided to backstop that franchise through <laughs> and, and really like if it's indistinguishable from like if Arizona and it's like ownership or brain trust or whatever was like doing a uh, an elaborate producer style like ruse yeah. in which they were daring the <laughs> NHL to like discontinue the franchise like somehow they had some clause where they got paid out uh, you know a, t- a ton of money if if and when the team ever got moved so they deliberately tried to sabotage it uh, <laughs> at every turn and uh, like it their behavior would be indistinguishable from what has actually played out with this team and yet still somehow but what i like is at least the coyotes were able to convince the uh, Arizona State University to let them put their logo at least partially on the ice. So if you look yeah. at the center ice, there's oh, an no. Arizona State logo and there's a Coyotes logo and they're next oh, to each other. No. At, but that was not a sure thing. At first, when this plan was floated, they were actually not going to be able to put any branding presence on the ice itself. That's so humiliating. Negotiated. So good for them for being able to push that through. No, I mean, I feel bad for the players mainly on the team because, like, despite everything, I'm not going to go crazy and say that the Coyotes are good. They're better than they were last year, though. And they actually have some NHL caliber players on their team that deserve to play probably before uh, uh, audiences of more than 5,000 people. Um, so like that, I, I feel bad because you've worked so hard to make the NHL and to go from these, these players were probably playing through substantially uh, playing in front of substantially larger crowds in junior hockey yeah, and minor league hockey and co- certainly 4, college hockey. 600. That's insane. Yeah. Like that, how do you, like, what a, t- what a fucked up feeling, you know, for lack of a better term, Imagine- when you've like made the show and then you're playing in front of fewer fans than you did when you were like three steps removed from Imagine the show. Imagine getting on the team bus and then going to like any other stadium and not feeling like, like you're the underdog in a 1980 sports movie. Like... <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Major League uh, yeah. 4 or whatever number they would be on should be it's, about this hockey team. It is also the, it's just so funny. Like it's just like it's it is like funny. I read the uh Lauren Thiessen from Defector had a post about it that I just you know, that's how I got tipped off about this ongoing uh potentially like legislative and electoral issue. And she's got a line in it that I just want to read because it is just making my day. It's like it's currently a landfill with 1.5 million tons of trash. Morello and his allies have pushed for a 2.1 billion development that would replace it with the team's 4,787 pounds of trash. <laughs> Vicious. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I am. It's my favorite story in the NHL right now. It's a. It's it's probably the weirdest story that we don't talk about that much. <laughs> like we should be talking about it more. That a one of the big four pro 
teams plays in a college arena that they don't own and has fewer than 5,000 fans capacity. That's insane. Like just saying that out loud feels like it's not real. Like even when, like even after Katrina, I feel like the Saints played in like a pretty good like where were they? They were at some college, but they I mean, split between LSU. Uh, yeah. and you know how these SEC like, yeah. football—it's bigger than the NFL. Are. Yeah, yeah, like there are NFL teams facilities that are not as good as SEC uh, yeah. college teams. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. So hopefully they can get that resolved eventually. I know the players are trying to kind of lean into it. Apparently, it's a uh, you know this is when you break out things like it's an intimate atmosphere you know, sure. you kind of break out things like that to describe it um but yeah there's there's not a whole lot getting around it okay tiger stadium at lsu has a bigger capacity than the superdome like the saints were playing in a field that had like i think about a third more capacity <laughs> than their actual home field and like this is just like it's 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 like college hockey in arizona it's like baby this is it's so rough to like... now maybe there's a home uh, no, there's a road advantage there, right? Like if your home arena is so small, yeah. but then when you go to the the opponents on the road and they have great facilities by comparison, especially probably like much larger locker room for the visitors. Because yeah. normally the visitors locker room is like the bad locker room yeah. uh, compared with the home team. But <laughs> for you, <laughs> it's actually really great. And so you play better. Uh, now let me immediately consult the home road winning percentage splits no. for Arizona. They do. Oh, this is sad. They actually do have a pretty good record. In fact, a much better record than other teams in um, their sort of weight class, uh, if you will. Sure. Uh, so their home winning percentage is 545. So they won 55% of their games at home, which is higher than the Avalanche. It's higher than Vegas. It's higher than the Devils. The Devils are only 500 well, at That's home. because whenever somebody visits them, they're just like, I have to play in this? <laughs> this? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that yeah. that's like a home advantage. But they have one of the worst road winning percentages of any team. So that totally invalidates my theory, but it is pretty funny. It, it is funny to think about. Somehow the, the 4,600 seat arena is a home advantage maybe you know don't tell other owners that are looking to cheap out on teams about this because they will try this yeah no absolutely (laughs) like like, um like they will absolutely stop cleaning madison square garden if they find this (laughs) to be the case i mean you've seen the they they do want to do a redesign of uh penn station and that whole complex so Mm -hmm. if somebody gets wind of that they could just be like uh let's just toss them into some you know auxiliary closet space down the hall from the (laughs) from from penn station Anyway, I'm glad that we got to talk about my favorite story that's kind of about hockey, but is mostly about uh, state tax incentives. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, um, and, and evil uh, mustache-twirling business uh, business owners who own teams as well. Amazing. So I think that's that's kind of that's going to be the end of it for us today. We'll be back again. You know, I can tell you we that should much. be back sooner yeah. uh, rather than yeah. later. You know, I think I uh, as as the hockey season you know gets into swing. Yes, it will intensify up mm-hmm. to the uh, the recommended level by playoff time, and that's when we'll know when the playoffs start. That's actually there's no schedule to it; it mm-hmm. just always happens to be that when the intensity reaches a ten out of ten on our intensity meter that we that Gary Bettman keeps next to his computer in his office, 
alarm bells go off and they're like, it's time for the playoffs, boys. That's how Hell this yeah, works. Hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah. It's a vibe, not a, not, not a schedule thing. Yeah. Um, all right, Neil. Uh, good hanging out, man. Anything yeah, you want to plug over this. here? You've written some stuff about hockey this season. Uh, just a few things. You know, I am uh, editing the coverage at 538. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, we're going to try to do more hockey coming out of the, uh, the new year on the other side. And uh, yeah, you know. There's some other sports we'll probably talk about, you know, some football, things like that. But really, hockey is the most important sport. We know this. We know this. We Even if even if Brass doesn't necessarily agree with us all the time, it is the most important sport. <laughs> the only Brass I care about is Bonanza. And speaking of which, farewell. Farewell.